You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Welcome to Aaron Menke's Cabinet of Curiosities, a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild. Our world is full of the unexplainable. And if history is an open book, all of these amazing tales are right there on display, just waiting for us to explore. Welcome to the Cabinet of Curiosities. In 1818, civil engineer Sir William Cubitt invented a form of torture. It didn't drip water, nor did it stretch its victims to uncomfortable lengths. It didn't even draw a single drop of blood. But it did cause a lot of sweat and pain. He designed the device for use in prisons as a means to reform criminals. If incarceration wasn't incentive enough, he believed his method would surely deter prisoners from becoming repeat offenders. And before long, prisons across Britain installed their own, and they called it the Eternal Staircase. Prisoners were forced to climb the thin spokes of a pedal wheel, repeatedly. It was effective, too. In fact, the British Society for the Improvement of Prison Discipline published a guideline and rules for the House of Corrections and Penitentiaries, in which Cubitt's staircase was listed as a way for prisoners to earn an honest day's work. You see, the repetitive motion of climbing the large pedal wheel created enough power to crush grains for mills or pump water. Up to 24 convicts climbed the large spokes at one time for up to eight hours a day. The Surrey House of Correction, home to one of the first devices, turned a profit grinding corn, and that made the prison mill system popular. When it came to punishment, the guards claimed the device terrorized prisoners by sheer monotony. Those who endured the experience often said they were scarred for life, And it wasn't an exaggeration. Irish novelist Oscar Wilde, who had been incarcerated for two years, never recovered from the cruelty, passing away three years after his release. Though less common in America, one institution did follow in Britain's footsteps, New York's Bellevue Hospital. There, the machine developed a notorious reputation. Not so much as a medieval torture device. It wasn't an Iron Maiden or a rack, after all. No, patients reported the repetition of a pointless act was pure torture. Finally, in 1898, British courts deemed Cubitt's invention inhumane and abolished its use in prisons. The labor was deemed too hard and the psychological trauma too great. Decades later, in 1939, a flatter form of the device was patented by a man named John Richards as a means to exercise dogs, but that also turned out to be a failure. The apparatus resurfaced again for human use just after the end of World War II, when a researcher at the University of Washington needed a way to test cardiac function. The doctor added a motor to the 1939 dog walker and hooked up test subjects to an EKG. Aside from testing the patient's heart, other medical uses soon emerged. In the 1960s, Army and Air Force physician Dr. Kenneth Cooper used it to measure oxygen consumption in pilots. 
Both Cooper and the cardiologist were able to find hidden heart conditions, although given the device's history, their work remained controversial. The medical community said that stressing healthy people's hearts was reckless, that it endangered lives. Cooper disagreed, though, stating that Americans had become far too sedentary. As a runner, he believed people could benefit from regular, strenuous activity. In 1968, he published a book on fitness, detailing the benefits from yoga to aerobics, along with his favorite exercise, running. Before long, running became exceptionally popular. People everywhere took up the activity. Winters, though, presented a problem. So a mechanical engineer named Bill Straub came up with a solution. The same cardiovascular devices the doctors had used. Too big and bulky for homes, the apparatus slowly found its way into gyms that previously focused exclusively on weights. Straub called the device the Pacemaster and sold it for $400, roughly $2,800 today. And it's fair to say that the device worked. When Straub passed away in 2012, he was 96 years old. Along the way, dozens of companies had emerged as competition. Sales reached nearly $1 billion in 2017. Today, approximately 53 million of Straub's devices are inside people's homes. Others flock to gyms, paying to use what once was a torture device. And admittedly, we still have a love-hate relationship with them. We no longer call them the Eternal Staircase or Pacemasters. No, the modern-day version is simply known as the Treadmill. This episode is sponsored by Intuit. Here's a story for you. Once upon a time, a young woman was haunted by the ghosts of bad financial decisions, with credit card debt and an empty savings account looming over her every day. But when she tried to ignore these ghosts, they only grew bigger and scarier. And these ghosts of her bad financial decisions were stopping her from living her best life. So she decided to face them head on and take control of her finances with help from Intuit. Intuit helps you face your financial fears with confidence through products like TurboTax, Credit Karma, QuickBooks, and MailChimp. Whether you're trying to manage your money or trying to run a business, Intuit gives you the confidence to take control of your finances so you can live your best life. Intuit is the financial platform that helps everyday people prosper. Intuit has helped 100 million people live their best financial lives. Visit Intuit.com, I-N-T-U-I-T.com to start living yours. Let's get into it. Ask anyone to rattle off a list of inventors and their inventions, and you'll get plenty of replies. Edison and the light bulb, Bell and the telephone, and the Wright brothers and airplanes, just to name a few. And while some inventors, like Tesla, were considered ahead of their time, there were others lost to time. Such was the case for Cornelius Drebbel. In 1595, he married, and the couple went on to have six children. To support his growing family, he held down several jobs, as a painter and engraver, although he also dabbled in alchemy. The family moved to England in 1604 by the invitation of King James I. The new king sought out explorers, alchemists, and economists for his court, and it was there, under the king's employ, that Drebbel demonstrated his newest invention, a perpetual motion device that told the time, the season, and the weather. The device not only impressed the king, but also caught the attention of the Holy Roman Emperor, 
escalating Drebbel's reputation as one of the most influential inventors in Europe. He was prolific, creating things like moving statues for the Renaissance court, along with harpsichords that played on their own using solar energy. And art wasn't the inventor's only love. With an educational background in chemistry and alchemy, he soon set to work on other technologies. For farming, he built an incubator for hatching chicken eggs, and he created a regulator for use with a portable stove. And it was that work with incubators and stoves that led him to create early versions of thermometers and a functional air conditioning system. Oh, and during his work with regulators, he accidentally discovered a new scarlet dye by dropping chemicals onto a tin windowsill. The bright red color became an instant hit. The exact chemicals and mixture of it, though, were kept secret. Although Drebbel himself did not make a lot of money from the dye, his two daughters and their husbands did, operating a prosperous business making the formula. There were more inventions, too. He created fountains that delivered fresh water, the first camera obscura, and a method for grinding lenses for telescopes and microscopes. And he also created the first Lantern Magica, or Magic Lantern, a device much like a projector, using concave glass and a mirror to project light onto a wall. He created the first compound microscope with two convex lenses, although a Dutch spectacle maker claimed that Drebbel stole the idea from him. Later, in 1624, an Italian scientist loved the lenses so much that he improved upon Drebbel's work. His name? Galileo. But Drebbel's best work was the stuff he saved for the king. He worked on secret weapons, mostly bombs and other methods of detonation. His floating bomb was a failure, but in 1620 he was hired to work with the king's navy and began work on another invention that became one of his biggest obsessions ever. He designed a boat made with a wooden frame and then covered it with greased leather to make it more waterproof. The first rendition had a basic rudder and four oars. Excited by the possibilities, Drebbel built two more, each larger than the one before it. The final version of the boat carried 16 people at a time. The king's navy viewed the ship as an oddity, though, as it carried no cargo other than men. There were no cannons, either. The main purpose, according to Drebbel, was to allow the king's men to sneak up on their enemies. The idea of such a covert vessel was not an original idea. William Bourne had drawn up similar designs in 1578, but Drebbel had improved upon them enough to make an actual working prototype. He named the craft after himself, the Drebbel, and organized a demonstration for the king and the navy right there in London on the Thames. Having quite a reputation for his inventions, thousands of excited Londoners flanked the riverbanks to see what Drebbel had in store. Absent of large sails and masts, the Drebbel maintained a low profile. There was very little deck to speak of either, and the boat swam more than it sailed as it made its way from Westminster to Greenwich and back. The entire trip took the ship three hours. On one leg of the trip, it said that King James himself rode as a passenger. But although the boat had set out to do what its inventor intended, the king and the Royal Navy remained less than impressed. It would take another few centuries before any military saw the value in using a Drebbel. But they finally did catch on. Today, though, we call them by a different name. Submarines. I hope you've enjoyed today's guided tour of the Cabinet of Curiosities. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or learn more about the show by visiting curiositiespodcast.com. This show was created by me, Aaron Mankey, in partnership with How Stuff Works. 
I make another award-winning show called Lore, which is a podcast, book series, and television show. And you can learn all about it over at theworldoflore.com. And until next time, stay curious. Thank you.